podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the AI Premier League Preview Pod. The night after the Reds went to Munich and emerged with a 3-1 win that secured their place in the Champions League quarterfinals. Uh, it was a euphoric one, but I mean, obviously the focus now firmly turns back to the Premier League uh, and the tension-ridden title race. So Klopp's side travels to London this weekend to take on a beleaguered Fulham side now, uh, led by their third manager of the season, caretaker Scott Parker, uh, on the pod this week to help provide insight into you know, what's gone wrong in this you know, undoubtedly you know, pretty tough season for Fulham. Uh, I'm glad to welcome on Dom Betts from Fulham Podcast, uh, Fulhamish. Welcome, Dom. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Yeah, no problem at all. I, I mean, we had a, we had a brief chat before the pod started. Um, to all those who are listening, just just based on uh, me not wanting to make Dom have to go go back through too much of this, but hopefully it's going to be more of a cathartic experience going through all of it rather than um, uh, a, a negative one. But I mean, just if we can cast our minds like right back now, I guess then to. Um, just after promotion, um, uh, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, coming into the season, you know, based on how you had been promoted, based on sort of the range of activity in the window, um, what were the expectations amongst the fan base? I'm, I'm guessing they're pretty sky high. Yeah, I think it was quite split. I think some fans were thinking, you know, you know, the Premier League mid-half, but sort of middle table sides aren't amazing. So maybe we could push maybe for, I don't know, a high, lower half table finish, like maybe 11th or 12th. But for me, it was like, it's our first season in the Premier League. Let's just calm down and just hopefully, it, and not hopefully, but I think we can stay up. And I think that, that was my priority. And then, you know, we, when we, the way we start the season, the way we were playing in pre-season, I was like, okay, it's, you know, we've got a lot of new players in, you know, they're going to have, they're going to need time to gel. And, you know, we, in the, in the games early in the season, we, we beat Burnley 4-2 quite early on. And from then, I think fans thought, okay, this is, this is going to be what it's like on the way forward. We're going to be quite an attacking side like we were last season. But yeah, I don't think any fans expect it to go as bad as it has. No, of course. I mean, I think just, Given the sort of the momentum behind the club, but I also think so. Some of the conversations around Wolves as well, and sort of these um, teams, yourself included, coming up uh, to the Premier League were, were perhaps going to be some of the most exciting ones that we've seen in recent years. I mean, just, just one thing I wanted to mention as well. I mean, obviously, you can you can talk about sort of the defensive record this season and and, and the defensive issues you guys have had. But was there any indication sort of last season um, when you were fighting for that promotion um, that? Defense was the obvious area that we that you'd need to strengthen. Were you surprised that that wasn't more of an area of uh, of focus? Yeah, I mean, if you look if you look at the way we played last season, yes, we kept some clean sheets, but even in our entire time in the championship, you know, we we were never a good defensive defensive side. I think if you look at one of the seasons where we just about stayed up in the championship, I think it was uh, two seasons before we got promoted last season. We were nearly we were like the second or third top goal scorers in the division, but we only just about stayed up. And you know, if you look at our defence, you got what well, you, you had Ryan Fredericks who left. You had Matt Target went back on loan to Southampton. You had know, Tim Ream and Dennis Adoy, who you know we both know are both Championship or we all know are Championship level defenders. And you know the only Premier League experienced defender we brought in or a defender who played in the Premier League before was you know Alfie Mawson, and we've had him out injured for half the season. So. You know, we brought in Maxine Lamarchand from France, but you know, Cyrus Christie uh, went in to replace Fredericks. Joe Brown came in from Bristol City, but 
you know, these aren't players who are proven in the Premier League. And, you know, we if we were going to continue the way we were playing by passing out of the back under Slavisa Djukanovic, we needed to get Premier League experienced players or players of that calibre who could play this way. And, you know, we focused so much on the attacking talent we brought in. You know, we brought in Midridge on a permanent deal. We got Andre Scherler, you know, Luciano Vieto, who's played for the likes of Villarreal and Atletico Madrid. And, you know, I think everyone was so... And, you know, John Michael in midfield and Guisa in the midfield as well. I think people were so excited by the attacking talent we brought in that... They totally forgot that we still probably had Bar Alfie Mawson championship level defence. You mentioned the sort of Yukanovich's sort of insistence that there was the passing out of the back, and of course you brought Sergio Rico in as well um, as a goalkeeper. Um, I guess to somewhat try and help with that. But in, in terms of actually um, his style and his approach, do you think that um, that was probably as much to blame this season for some of the some of the defensive words. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll get on to talk about Yukanovic in a bit more detail, but I'm I'm just wondering, do you think it was a case of not having the players to play the way he wanted to play, or being a bit too stubborn and sort of sticking to that approach, knowing that he didn't have the tools necessarily to try and play that way? I think a good comparison if you compare it to about a month, six weeks ago with Chelsea under Maurizio Sarri that. You know, Chelsea fans are accusing him of only playing Sarisimo or Sarri ball. And that was kind of similar under Jukanovic. Even when we, when we were doing well last season, he would, or even when we weren't doing so, he'd stick to his, to his tactic. He'd stick to the way he wants to play the game. And, you know, in the championship, that will eventually come good as it's shown. We've had two very, very good latter six months in our last two scenes in the championship. But the Premier League isn't, isn't that forgiving. You know, you don't really get championship strikers pressing your back line as, as much as they do in the Premier League. And I think, there, there is that, but I think, yes, Lavisa was trying to play the way he wanted to play, but we just didn't have the players for it. And I think that is slightly part of our downfall. But I think also, you know, it looked good on paper, our recruitment in the summer, but I think, you know, the recruitment and whoever was in charge of the recruitment in the summer, because no one really knows how, how, it's been, how it's been happening. But, you know, I think that was another problem. It was, it was a, it, this scene's basically been a mess of a load of things, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, you, you touch upon it there a little bit, and I guess there'll be more sort of, analysis of it once the season's over but um, in terms of sort of who's running the transfers and, and, and we'll touch on the transfers in, in a little bit but in terms of who was responsible for those players coming in or who was looking scouting the, these type of players as well you alluded there to not knowing exactly who that is is there sort of um, the suspicion that the owner perhaps isn't entirely aware of what he's doing and maybe has a bit too much more involvement in in these sorts of affairs? or Well, a lot of Fulham fans put the blame on Tony Khan, who's the owner, Shade Khan's son, who's, I think, his role is basically director of football, but it's some weird right. title that isn't called director of football. But, you know, he gets a lot of the blame for the recruitment and the way the clubs run. So, you know, I'm not his biggest fan, but he does get a lot of stick on social media. It doesn't help when he comes out on social media and has a pop-up of Fulham fans giving him loads, loads of rubbish. So I think, you know, the recruitment was poor if you look at it now but on paper I don't think you find a Fulham fan who was necessarily disappointed with our summer business but it, as, as it's folded out you know if you look at it if you look at who did we sign defensively because that was our problem last season I mean you know if you look I think if the best way to look at it if you if you look at the games we've won this year, I think we won four in three of them we've, we've, we've had to score three or four goals so and that's not a sustainable model we're trying to win Premier League games of football so I think, you know, the recruitment was poor looking back on it because obviously Andre Scherler, Luciano Vieto aren't players that you're going to come in straight into the Premier League and are going to hit the leg running. You know, Andre Scherler's had a very, very poor couple of years at Borussia Dortmund. So I didn't see he'd be going straight away, but it was a good name to have obviously set up the goal for Germany in the World Cup final. But yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the recruitment is part to blame because I think 
I've always been of the opinion that a manager needs to be involved and heavily involved in recruitment because the manager knows what players he wants. The the statistician, and we've been accused of, or I think we've apparently been trying to use the, you know, the whole stats method, the moneyball sort of way of look, trying to buy players. And for me, you know, for us, that doesn't seem to work. You know, you've got, you got to take into account things like players' personality and how they're going to fit into a dressing room. And I think that wasn't taken into account. So, it's been it's been a cra- it's been a crazy season when it comes to recruitment, but yeah, I think the blame does ultimately lie with the pl- people who are in charge of buying the players in the summer. Yeah, in terms of dressing room politics as well, um, Abu Bakr Kamara is he's he's someone who definitely caught the headlines in in terms of sort of uh, along with Mitrovic, not sort of leading to the most sort of I guess serene dressing room environment, and it's it's always going to be tough in these circumstances as well. But if we do move on to sort of transfers and Having a look, I mean, there obviously are some big names there. You mentioned Jean-Michel Sarri, uh, Mitrovic coming in, of course, permanently. Um, Alfie Morton, a pretty big fee from Swansea before the injuries, of course, and, and Gisa midfield. Uh, right, even Ryan Babel latterly comes in on uh, a small fee from Besiktas, uh, even down to some of the loans as well. I mean, uh, yes, Lazar Markovic is years in the wilderness, but there's that name there again, Forsu Mensa. Ikan Chambers, Luciana Vieta, as you mentioned as well, very talented, prom- promising youngster at least, and even Sergio Rico if we go down there as well. Um, it's a lot of players who come in, um, and I probably left a few out there as well. Uh, a, a lot of players have come in. Do, do, do you think it was the number of players that came in that was the issue, or do you think it was, as you sort of alluded to already, it was the focus that was wrong? It was the, it was the, it was the, it was the type of player, and it was the style of player. Um, and also just basically the the positions that you targeted weren't necessarily uh, what you should have done. Yeah, I think that I don't think the number of players you brought in is actually a huge problem because if you look when we got promoted after the playoff final and how many players we did have on loan, we're not including Mitrich in this, you know. A lot of our, we had, we had Shea Ojo in on loan, we had Matt Target in on loan, we had Alexander Mitrovic in on loan. I think if you look at it properly, after the playoff final, we probably only had a maybe... You know, Thomas Callas and Lucas Piazza as well on over Chelsea. Like, we probably only had about 14, 15 first team players left after the, after the playoff final. And, you know, you look at them, only maybe Tom Kearney and Brian Cessna, and you'd say would, would do relatively well in the Premier League. So we did need to bring a lot of players. But I think one thing you don't take into account is that if you bring all of these high caliber players like your Shellers, like your Series, there becomes a dressing room divide. Not ju- you obviously got your wages and they're coming in on big Premier League wages where the other players are still on their championship contracts. But I think it just alters the way, the the sort of banter in the dressing room. You know, we had a really strong team spirit last year. If you, if you saw it after, after, after the playoff final, I mean, there were players who would, who would be on the bench every week or not even the squad, absolutely delighted yeah. and hugging all the first team players. And this season, it just seems like a, You've got the players who are still from the championship. We still like they like Kim McDonald, they like Tom Kearney, likes and Mitrich, like session. We still want to fight for the for the club, but the rest of them seem just to be here for a permanently pay paycheck, which is annoyed annoyed quite a lot of Fulham fans. I, I well, I said this quite a few months ago when well, you knew things were going bad. And it looked like we we're probably going to get relegated. That you know, if we had if we just signed Mitrich on a permanent deal, Matt Target on a permanent deal, and we'll, and Ryan Fredericks didn't go to West Ham, if we just played our player final team, would we really be doing much worse? I really don't think we would. Yeah, you often see sort of a, a variety of different approaches only when sides come up, obviously, into the Premier League. Some decide to go you know, as full-scale as they can some and, and bring in big numbers. I mean, there's always exceptions as well. I think if, if you look at the Wolves' example and how well they've done, it's it's a pretty weird example of how they're doing it based upon sort of the the running of that club, how, how those players end up at that club as well, I think. It probably needs a little bit more scrutiny. But um, 
again, there is a call there. And then the other approach is maybe not tampering too much with the side that's secure promotion. And it can often sort of have have its advantages and, and disadvantages as well. Of the signings you brought in, and I mean, I guess just asking you personally, I mean, which ones were you most excited about, um, and which ones been the biggest disappointment? I guess it's not the it's not the hardest question to ask you. Yeah, Mitrovic obviously was exciting, but we knew what we were going to get from him. I think if we're looking at who we were most excited about, you've got to look at John Miguel Seri. You know, he was supposed to be going to Barcelona the summer before, apparently. And everyone thought, oh, are he going to be, he's going to replace Johansson in our, our midfield. He's going to be creating chances for his left, right, and center. And after the Palace game, I was like, yeah, this guy's different level to what we've seen. Probably the best midfielder we've seen at the club since Musa Dembele left the Spurs. And, you know, he's been quite disappointed. He's not been necessarily terrible, in my opinion. But the thing is, you know, you're expecting so much more. And Guisa isn't been massively disappointed because of the price tag. We paid near enough £30 million for him. And, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, those two have been the most disappointing for me personally. I haven't been expecting loads from the rest. Andre Scherler, you know, I'm just the less spoken about him, the better. He, he, he'll score a wonder goal, but apart from that, he won't do anything. You know, he'll, if you look at the goals he scored against Cardiff and Burnley, away from home, great, absolutely brilliant strike. I think he won goal in a month for one of them, but at the end of the day, he doesn't put any effort in for the rest of the game. And there's, there's, that's, the pro- that's been the main problem this season. There's no team spirit. There's no team chemistry. It just seems like a load of individuals. So I would say Seri and Greaser and Scherler have been the most disappointing. It was, I know you didn't ask it, but I think the most surprising good player for us has been Callum Chambers. Right. Okay. He's, he's been reinvigorated playing through the centre midfield because when he first came in, he was playing centre-back and then he played right-back. And I was like, He's awful. Like, why, why have we gone low? And then I think, actually, it was, it was the away game at Anfield when Slavice, in Slavice's last game when he put him in holding midfield and, and he played really, really well. He's probably one of our best player in that game. And ever since then, he's been a mainstay in the team. So I think, you know, he's probably been, he's probably been the most surprising signing out of all of them, actually, as well. Yeah, I think the one for me that I was looking at as well was sort of very intrigued to see how he did. I wasn't sure what the Premier League would necessarily be the right um, move for him, but was definitely aware of, of, of the talent he possessed and, and then sort of the fact that it hasn't really worked out from over recent years. But I mean, what's really happened with Luciano Vieto then? I mean, what, what have you made of him since he, since he's been here? Has he, has he seemed, uh, overawed by the whole situation? Is Vieto's a weird one because at, right at the beginning of the season, he, he was, he was creating a lot of chances for like Mitrovic and there are certain, in some of the games, I remember Watford at home, like, he he was playing just off Mitrovic, uh, not quite a one, more kind of an inside forward kind of position. It was sort of playing a sort of two tens either side of Mitrovic, and he he was creating the chances. And then he sort of went off the boil and didn't make a return. He scored against Brighton in February or January, whenever it was. But yeah, apart from that, he sort of just. I don't think he's got the work rate and desire to play for a Premier League team. I think he's not suited to the way the Prem, the way Premier League teams play football. But we've seen the ability is there in certain in certain games, but. Yeah, he's just not just put it across enough. He started really promisingly, but he just went off the ball and, yeah, he doesn't even really get a look in anymore. Yeah, if you've not got the work rate and desire, you're not going to do very well at Atletico Madrid, are you? So, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear why he moved on from that club as well. Um, all right, then. So, if, if we move on from the transfers then, I mean, and sort of begin to get your sort of opinion on, on just why things went wrong, because obviously we can look at the the lack of defensive reinforcements, perhaps. Uh, we can look at what, what you mentioned about Yukanovic perhaps being uh, stubborn at times. Um, but if you actually had to look at the season as a whole so far and go, well, if if I'm to blame one factor more than the other, I mean, where would you sort of lay the blame in terms of why the season's gone so so poorly for you guys? 
it, it's it's hard thing to pinpoint on one thing. It sure. it does it does feel like it's just been an accumulation of multiple multiple things. So, but I, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna lay it one, I've got I, I think you've got to leave it at a recruitment stage because I don't I think you know Slav, you know I don't think they were the players he wanted. I think the only signing I could argue he probably wanted was Alexander Mitrovic. So. I think the recruitment's where it is for me. Like I, we need. I was not. The problem is, we if we spent 100 million. That's not my problem at all. Like I have no issue with spending 100 million pounds, but we seem to bought it on players who don't fit into the system we wanted to play, which which is absolutely ludicrous. I think if you look at, you know, if you compare like Liverpool and Man City transfers to Man United's, if you compare like the when since Guardiola, Klopp, and Mourinho have all been in charge, Mourinho just signing square pegs in round holes, and I feel that's kind of what happened with our, with our recruitment like we, you look at Andre Scherler and Luciano Vieto and these and if you even look at Seri and Anguissa these players don't fit in the system we've been playing for the last two two seasons before this because the centre mid role for us where Seri's been playing majority of the season relies on work rate and legs Johansson was not necessarily the most talented player but you know he got himself about he got goals he got assists and he put himself about and I think it was just weird we were signing players who Yes, they're great names. They're players who would excite fans, but are they going to fit the way we play? No, they're not. I think the w- I know it's where the modern football is, but I think the, the manager needs more input in not just the names we're getting, but the type of players we're looking for. If if if, if he's not going to be completely involved, he needs to the type of player. A, a centre mid who's going to run a lot, a a winger who's going to get down the line, a winger who's going to let the fullbacks overlap. And yeah, I feel like the recruitment for me, if I'm going to blame it on one particular factor, that would be it. Yeah, no. I th- I think you're probably right as well to mention that it, it usually always is a combination of a variety of factors. But if we sort of turn then to um, the first of your three managers this season, if, if we're taking Scott uh, Scott Parker, even this caretaker role as as the third one, um, looking at Yukanovic then, I mean, I mean, would you be able to provide a little bit a little bit of insight on just on how popular he was, of course, um, at the club? I mean, and, and uh, did seem to have a as you mentioned, a very particular way that he wanted to play um, or, or wanted to get you guys playing. Um, and just where did it go wrong for him? Was it okay to him just not, as you mentioned, ha- having square pegs and round holes and not having the players he needed to, to play the way he did? Or did, did he make matters worse for himself based upon some of his decisions? I think, you know, some of his decisions you can question, but I, I don't understand why he wouldn't be given more time. I mean, you know, he only got, he only got given, what, 10 or so games and, you know, when we were in the Premier League last time, we had three managers that time. So I thought the the Khans would have been more patient with him. I think one one thing that did sort of pull their arm was that, you know, uh, Southampton sat their manager in Mark Hughes at a very similar time. And they thought maybe they would be going for Ranieri and he'd be the option. So they quickly maybe snapped too early to try and pip Southampton to Claudio Ranieri. I, I don't know. But, you know, if you look if you look at his last game away at Anfield, I thought we played very well in that game. You know, obviously we the goal for us got disallowed and then you went straight up the other end and scored with Mo Salah, and then Shakiri got another in the second half. But that was probably one of the best defensive performances of that season. And I think it was a shame that the Khans had already made their mind up before going into that game. I mean, yes, that losing to Huddersfield away on a Monday night, being in, in freezing cold Yorkshire on a Monday night, wasn't where I wanted to be. And I was very angry after that game. But, you know, I do think Slavisa should have been given more time. And I think, uh, moving on, I think the problem was that if you look at if you look at any time you you appoint two polar opposite of managers, it doesn't work. You can't go from a manager who likes to play a fluid four two three one or four three three two, you know, a Catanetio manager like Claudio Ranieri. It doesn't work because the players he'd want to play within his system 
aren't the same players at Slav. And he won't, obviously didn't have a transfer window in between or anything. So, you know, the players weren't suited to the way Ranieri was going to play. They were suited to the way Slavisa wanted to play. Just, I don't think they the roles were necessarily the right ones. But yeah, I think Slavisa, he's still loved by the Fulham fans, you know. It, a lot of Fulham fans would be very disappointed if he if he ends up get, getting a West Brom job because it would just feel very very weird. And then if he ends up getting promoted, and you know, I'd probably rather he did get promoted to West Brom than us have to play in next season because it would be sort of one massive Slavisa kind of loving. But yeah, if I'm looking at Fulham managers in my lifetime, he may not be one of the best managers I've seen, but he's provided me with probably the best day in um, in my in my time being a Fulham fan, winning at Wembley. It was the first time we've been at Wembley since 1975. In it, when we lost the FA Cup final to West Ham. So, yeah, I think so many Fulham fans still do have an affection love for the man. And I think, you know, weirder things have happened if we ended up, he ended up being a manager next season. I can't see that happening, but definitely weirder things have happened. But, yeah, if we just start, yes, Lavisa, I do think he should have been given more time, but I do understand why they got rid of him. And you mentioned there briefly sort of how, how he was trying to get you guys to play. Um, what did a Jokanovic Fulham side look like then earlier in the season? What, what was his approach? Well, his approach was very attacking, very attacking mind. And the, the, the team used to, the way we, we played at Anfield was probably the most polar opposite. So, Luis kind of performance you've ever seen. Because it was, it was like sort of a low block trying to put mine behind the ball. I mean, if you look, I think the best, the most sort of East Jokanovic way was probably we saw the game against Burnley when we won 4 2. You know, we, we had Seri scoring a goal from 30 yards. We had, it was so critical is the overlapping fullbacks whipping the ball into Mitrovic and then our attacking players feeding off in the likes of Sessegnon, the likes of Kearney, you know, at the time, the likes of Scherler, the likes of Vieto. So I think that's that's what it was all about. It wasn't necessarily like Johan Cruyff or Pep Guardiola football, but it was playing football the right way, I guess you can say, and having possession of the ball, getting the ball through the thirds very, very quickly and, and attacking the other team. And obviously that works in championship because you don't have the, pe- the players pressing you. And I think that's one thing that... Savisa never adapted to is how much le- how little time your defenders are going to have have to have on the ball. But I think you know it was get the ball into Mitrovic, make the ball stick, and get your attacking players to feed off him. And you mentioned Claudio Ranieri as well. I mean, he's obviously very different, um, uh, and the way the way he would typically like to play is is pretty different as well. Even if you if if you disregard all those months when he was at Leicester and all, all the magic that he managed to create there. Um, I mean, what do you think the thinking was around that? Do you, do you think it was just the, the the reputation that Ranieri had and sort of the warmth that was out there towards him, um, or what, was there this look back to the fact that he, he could potentially organise the defence and make you a more secure unit? Yeah, I think it was getting an Italian manager in or get a manager who knows how to fix a solid defence. I think he probably might have wanted to get Big Sam in, but he knew the absolute outroar if he appointed Sam Allardyce because I think. Loads of Fulham fans said we don't we don't want him in our club. Like we'd yeah. rather go down making a point Sam Allardyce as our manager, which I totally agree with. And you know, I thought he brought Ranieri. I, I think someone on our podcast said he was basically a PR friendly Sam Allardyce, to put it to put it lightly. And you know, yes, he said he said some good things, but the football, you know, it was weird when he first came in. He, we when he came in, we got our first win, we beat Southampton three two. You know, I think one thing that rent against Ranieri was the injury to Alfie Mawson because when he got injured. Our defence was kind of getting there. It was playing a lot better. You know, we got a clean sheet away at Newcastle just before Christmas. We drew 1-1 with Wolves on Boxing Day. We beat Huddersfield 1-0 on the 29th or 30th, whenever it was. And, you know, before New Year's Day when we got an absolute battering from Arsenal. But, you know, that's that's expected. So, I think it was getting a bit of injury to Alfred Mawson really did rock him. But then he was his problem was 
you know, the fan favourites of Tom Kearney and Ryan Sessegnon, he was playing them out of position. He'd not play Sessegnon to keep him on the bench. He'd play Tom Kearney on the right wing when he's an attacking midfielder. It was very, very odd. His selection choices were weird. He would, he just didn't seem to know what Peel's best position was. His idea of making us better defensively was just putting more defensive players on the pitch. And that, that's not how it works. And I'm saying, if you're putting more defensive players on the pitch, we all know they're bad and all our good players are ones going forward. So you're there putting, putting more bad players on the pitch and keeping your good ones on the bench. So, yeah, he didn't endear himself to the Fulham fans. One thing that didn't help is the owners said he was a risk-free appointment when they appointed him. I think that's been disproved clearly. And, you know, the fans, I didn't mind him at the start, but towards the end, it, I was just like, you're making football a chore and it should never be a chore to go. It was like, I'm at this game because I feel like I have to be at this game, not because I want to go see the team play. I think the biggest game that sticks out for this me was a few weeks ago in the midweek game, his last game in charge away to Southampton. I was like, I was in the work, I was at work, I was in the office, and I was like, I don't really want to go to be honest this evening. And we ended we ended up losing the game two 0 And yeah, I think you know Ranieri, he sort of made football boring to to be perfectly honest. And you know it was just boring to watch, and it was nice to see him go. And I think. Bringing Scott Parker in was more about just getting some pride back. Not that he, not that he has any chance of keeping us up, really. Yeah, you said it's pretty odd. I think whenever you sack a manager, bring somebody in, and you mentioned the big, the big Sam parachute that people want to avoid at all costs now. And I think whenever any manager gets sacked in the in the Premier League, it's you only have to scroll down two or three tweets before you see photos of Big Sam laughing on the touchline. Something like that. People people dread him, obviously now joining their club. Um, you ended up going for uh, Claudio Ranieri, and you mentioned that he, he didn't really endear himself to the fan base. Um, didn't particularly seem to to g up the atmosphere too much. And he, yes, he's a charming guy. Yes, he's got lots of fans in the media. But um, as you mentioned, the football became a bit stale, became a bit defensive. But if that's not your strengths, why not play to the the attacking strengths that you have? If that's going to be maybe the thing that does keep you up this season, you you also mentioned in that that Tom Kearney and Ryan Sessegnon, of course, um, two real bright points of the season beforehand and, and just generally looking at those two players in terms of how, how they can play for you when they're playing at their best and you're playing at your most, I guess, free-flowing best. What's really happened with their development? I, I know Kenny's ha- had his injury, but um, Sessegnon, I mean, do you, do you think this is a season wasted for him? I wouldn't say necessarily a season wasted. I think, you know, people do forget he still is, he still is only 18 years old. Like, yeah. he, is, he is a very, very young player. And yes, he may not have the stats to show that, oh, he hasn't scored this many goals. He hasn't set up this many goals. But he, if you're looking at the top five English players in Europe, who are under those 21, he's second or third when it comes to chances created. So he's not exactly had a terrible, and he's been in a terrible side. And he's not been playing every single game week in, week out. So I think you've got to take that into account. The chances are being there and they're just not being put away. Yes, he's missed quite a few key chances for us. But, you know, for me, Ryan Sessegnon, he's still only 18. I actually think, I don't think he'll leave in the summer. I think he, he you know, he, he hasn't necessarily put himself in the shot window. People are only buying him because of his potential. They haven't seen his raw ability. I think another season in the championship would do him well. Because it's, at his age, it's all about playing football. As you've seen, you know, Trent, how far Trent Alexander-Arnold has come on since he's been playing week in, week out. So, mm. I think, you know, Cessna, I wouldn't say I've been disappointed with him this season. So you might, we might have been expecting more, but I don't think he's definitely been a disappointment. You know, Kearney, he's hardly, his best position is, you know, attacking midfield, number 10, behind Mitrovic. And he's only played that position a few times. And when he has, it's been his best performances of the season. So I think the more we see of Kearney in an attacking, more attacking advanced role, the, the more 
you will see from him. Because if we look at the Chelsea game, which we lost, unfortunately, 2-1, you know, it was his, probably his best performance in the Premier League so far. So, yes, he seems like he can't quite adapt, which I think isn't necessarily a good thing for him in the Premier League. But I, be, I haven't necessarily been disappointed with, with either of them, actually, in the Premier League. I think they've just about been kind of where we expected them to be. And in terms of players then, I know you mentioned Callum Chambers being probably the biggest surprise of the players that you brought in um, at the start of the season. But in terms of players that, even despite the situation, despite the circumstances, um, have done themselves proud, uh, players that the fans have have looked to and uh, can see the effort, can see the commitment from them throughout the season. I mean, who would you highlight there? I think you, you, Mitrovic, I think, is the person that everyone sees. You know, he's, he always puts 100% in. He's always put himself about. He always comes to say thanks to the fans after a game. You know, he, he actually he really likes being at the club and I think he's going to be really disappointed for him in the summer because I can't see him staying as much as he did go down to the championship with Newcastle, but it was a totally different kettle of fish at that point. He wasn't quite in the short market as he is now. You know, for me, he's one of the best strikers outside the top six, if not the best. So I think that for me, for me I think he'll go into summer, which will be, not, which will be disappointing for him because I think he really likes being in the club and he's endeared himself to the fans a lot this season. And, if there's not really too much else apart from like any new signings who've come in, apart from Callum Chambers, who've really endeared themselves uh, to the Fulham fan base. I mean, Maxime Lamarche on the defender has had like a good chant come out of it, which most most fans chant at each game. But I think that's more because they like singing the chant as opposed to he's actually endeared himself to the Fulham <laughs> fan base. But yeah, I think if we're looking at any, anyone who probably has been the most sort of you know putting a heart on their sleeve and the fans are loving, it's just been Mitrovic really this season. Yeah, he has been the one. I mean, I, I didn't want to make any sort of match of the day observations, but obviously when you're watching Fulham on match of the day, he's, he's one that stands out based not only on the goals, but sort of the way in which he's playing uh, and sort of the focal point that he he does provide you. Um, just moving on from Ranieri, because obviously I think that didn't didn't work. What seemed to go disastrously because the results didn't improve. You mentioned perhaps being unlucky with the, in, the injury, uh, Daffy Mawson as well, in, in that small patch of the season before the start of the new year. Looking ahead then, I mean, uh, I think Scott Parker's come out in the media and said, obviously, the usual lines of, of course, it, until it's mathematically impossible, you, you you keep going for the wins, you keep trying to um, stave off um, what seems like the inevitable. But uh, I mean, what are what are your hopes then for for next season if it is going to be in the championship? I mean, are, are you looking at you mentioned Mitrovic perhaps leaving, but do you think you can keep the core of this group together? I mean, or do you want to keep the core of this group together in the championship? Well, if you look at our squad, we haven't actually lost anyone from the champ, really, from the t- from the summer who got us up, apart from the lone players, obviously. So I think the core is still there. The problem for us, a massive problem for us, actually, is so we got Stefan Johansson currently alone at West Brom, and he was such a key cog in Slavisa's system that if Slavisa gets the job at West Brom, Johansson's contract runs out at the end of the season, but we've got an option of a further year. So if he ends up getting the West Brom job, he could be off, and that could be a big problem for us. But we've got Kearney and Session on hopefully they stay. We've got Ken McDonald holding the midfield. We've got, you know, Christy, Brian, Ream and the Doyes, a perfectly capable championship defence. So you've got that. You've got Marcus Bettinelli, who who hopefully be back from his injury in time for next season. You've got him in goal. And, you know, you've got Floyd Aite and Niskin Scabano, two very capable wingers. So I think there is a call for the championship there, but we just need to make sure when we go down into the championship, we're on an upwards, upward sort of scale as opposed to just be crossing and dying and keep going lower and lower. I mean, it's not quite as bad as it would be when we got relegated to the championship in 13-14 where, you know, we had an ageing squad who would all be leaving in the summer with Felix McGath at the helm, which was never a good thing. And then, so I think that we're in a lot better position now to rebuild, rediscover our identity as a club and what we are because, you know, I think we kind of lost that under Claudio Ranieri. 
that was another thing that the fans disliked. It didn't feel like the Fulham, we all the fans fell in love with them, the reason why they support the club. So I think that there is positives for next season if we can just make sure we get things right now so we don't have to sort things out in the summer. And in terms of, sort of which manager you think or what type of manager you think you'd be after, I mean, are there any names that have emerged even even this early or...? There's no names that have really emerged. I mean, it's quite it's been quite sort of quiet on that front because everyone's sort of focusing on this season, how good Scott Parker. Everyone's like, oh, could Parker do a Solskjaer? Like, no, that's not going to happen. But Because <laughs> obviously Solskjaer has so much more managerial experience than him. But yeah, I just want a manager who's going to please the fans because that's, that's all. Like, I don't care sort of what division we're in. I just want the fact it to be uh, the fan base to be happy and I want it to be a, a, an enjoyable place to be going to watch Fulham. I mean that's the most important thing. I'm I'm spending like my every single Saturday watching the team. So or sun or every single Sunday it's been in the Premier League quite a lot this season. So I think that yeah, that's for me. Someone who's gonna uh, invigorate the fan base, someone who's gonna play the football we want to see and, you know, make it the the Fulham that we all we all like to see, you know. Where we're in the championship, we're in the Premier League, it really doesn't affect me. I just want it to be a, a nice place to be to be able to watch football. No, of course, yeah, I think I think that makes perfect sense. And uh, in terms of finally moving on to then the game this weekend and then I mean I mean the next couple of games look tough obviously for um, uh, Liverpool arriving and then Manchester City afterwards. So you, you you have a definite chance here to have a have a say in the title race based upon sort of how these how these two games go. Um, I mean, how, how do you think Scott Parker is going to um, approach a game like this one this weekend, knowing what you do of how uh, how we you know, typically attack, how we typically uh, press, um, and sort of the importance of even though it, it, it might be beyond salvaging this season, of course. Um, maintaining that pride as well towards the end of the season. Yeah, I think one the main thing for us is, you know, yeah, we want to get some pride back. But if I'm looking at the way to get at Liverpool, I'd set up very similar how to we set up at Anfield. You know, having a really deep line defence so your attacking players can't actually get in behind the back of our defence. Because once you're, once Mane, Salah, Firmino, Shakiri, whoever's on the pitch, Origi, I don't know, I don't know whoever's going to be playing, but whoever gets behind the defence, they'll probably go and score because you know we, you don't need to create chances because we'll just create them for you. We'll just give you the ball and you'll be able to run through the back of our defence. So I think, yeah, for us, I just want to see us be strong and compact at the back, and then hopefully maybe get a couple chance on the counter attack. We saw the game at Anfield when Ryan Session on uh, missed a very very good chance when he's one on one. I think it's getting the ball into Mitrovic and getting him to play out wide to some quick players in the likes of Ryan Babel and Ryan Sessegnon. So. I think, yeah, it's about not giving you the space to get in behind us, but also if we, can, if we can try and concentrate for once and not create the chances for you like we did for Leicester on the weekend. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't have much confidence ahead of this weekend. I mean, I, I mean, I think one thing that Fulham fans are, are clinging on to, oh, we've seen uh, Fulham beat Liverpool a few times um, at home in, in the Premier League. And there was one time, I think it was in 06, 07, where we were uh, fighting against relegation. And we just about stayed up this year, thanks to the win over Liverpool. I think it was just before you were playing in, like, in the semis, or the final of the Champions League. So, I mean, there there is previous history where we have beat Liverpool, but it wasn't when you're as good as you are now. I think this is the best Liverpool team I've seen, like in in the Premier League, anyway. So, there's not much hope, but you know, you never. You, these are the sort of these are the sort of games where you have nothing to lose. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it in that way that I'm going into the game assuming we're going to lose, and if we get something, it'll be absolutely phenomenal. And I'd, pro- I'd probably be feeling very worse to wear on the Monday in work, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, as you say, probably the entirety of England wants us to get something on Sunday. So, the, the way that no one wants you to win the league this year. But as you said, we've got a very important say 
in maybe not where the title race goes, but who has the best goal difference. Yeah, it's interesting that I'd love to get your insight on that because I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit about sort of Liverpool right at the end of the pod. But I mean, in terms of that whole, like you, like you said, that it seems like the whole of England wants to um, make sure that we drop some points uh, um, in favour of Man City. It, 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 it just strikes me as odd as it. obviously Liverpool got this, this, this reputation, but people want the, the petrol dollars to win the league instead of us. Is, 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 is that how you feel? Most Fulham fans are, feel, are feeling as well. Yeah, I don't think I know a Fulham fan who wants Liverpool to win the league. Mm. If I'm being honest, I think you know a lot. A lot of it comes. A lot of it comes from doesn't stem from club football. A lot of it stems from I think national football and how a lot of people don't like the mentality of scouts not English. And I think it comes from that. And going to a lot of England games, I can understand where that mentality comes from. And you know, for me, I don't really care less who wins the league. I, I, I mean, the only the only reason I'd probably I'd might prefer City to win the league is because they've got. Raheem Sterling and Raheem Sterling is one of my favourite players. I mean that's that and for England, so that, that's probably one of the only reason why. And you know, I I I, I don't know. Klopp sometimes just gets on my nerves with some of the things he says, and it's 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 that. But I think yeah, there is this there is this thing that you know we what if we can if we can stop you winning the league, that would be great for us. Just something to salvage because it's been nothing to salvage in this season. And if, that, if that's one of the things we can salvage from the season, then then great. Interesting. Yeah, no, very interesting. Um, in terms of, I guess, just, just the last bit of preview for the weekend before you get, get your thoughts on some other stuff. I mean, where do you see the key battles being this weekend then? I mean, you, you mentioned a, a deep line defensive approach and then trying to counter where you can. Uh, you mentioned Sessegnon as well. I thought yeah, he, he had a pretty good game at Anfield. Um, and Mitrovic is always a threat as well. But where do you see sort of the area where you could potentially uh, cause us some trouble? I think cause you some trouble is maybe when when your your fullbacks are bombing forward and then our wingers can maybe get in behind because you know Babel may be old but he's still got a bit of pace about him same as Sessegnon and I think that's where it's that's where the key battle for us going forward is going to be is getting in behind your fullbacks when they, when they bomb forward and I think the key battle for you is if you just keep pressing our defence so eventually just give you the ball so. <laughs> that's that's the, right. that's the way that's the way that's the way it's been seen. But you know, you know, I can't see Mitrich versus Virgil Van Dijk. That that could that could be a very interesting, you know, mm. uh, sort of battle because you know, not many not many strikers out out muscle um, uh, Virgil Van Dijk, but not many defenders can out muscle Alexander Mitrovic. So that'd be very interesting if we can get the ball up to him uh, throughout the game. So I think yeah, it's going to be you know you absolutely pummeling us, and then hopefully we. Get you on a counter attack, but I think you know if you get a goal in the opening 30, 35, 30 minutes, then I think it's pretty much game over because we're not exactly a team renowned for coming from behind. I think we've only done it once this season, and so is something, and that was obviously um, uh, when we came from two 0 down and beat Brighton four two. I don't see that happening, anything like that. But I think yeah, if you if you get in the lead, I think the game's yours. Yeah, you could always do what Burnley did and genuinely just foul people from corners <laughs> to get a goal. I mean that was. That's pretty impressive. I, I, I'm sure Mitrovic wouldn't want to you know, put that past him. I'm sure he could get involved as well. And yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's definitely going to be a very interesting duel, actually, as you mentioned, because uh, yeah, Van Dijk has more or less um, jumped at the opportunity to, to take on any of these strikers all season. Um, last night was Lewandowski, of course, as well. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure he'll relish the opportunity as well, because it's it, it's been a long time since I think um, Liverpool fans haven't felt sort of weird about or if you go along against us, if if you go direct. You know, more often than not in the past few years, it was a way to get at us. Whereas this year, it seems like we finally found somebody to mop that sort of stuff up. But yeah, it's going to be another competitive um, showing this weekend, I imagine, in that regard. But um, just one last thing then, b- b- before I get your prediction for the weekend, um, I just wanted to ask you, I, I think I know uh, 
Liverpool are not your favourite um, or, or, or your favourite team, of course, season, this season. And you're definitely rooting for City for the title. But um, it would be good to get your thoughts because we've been trying to get uh, any rival fan who's come on this pod get their thoughts on on how Liverpool season has gone and, and just your opinion on who, um, which players have stood out to you. Is it the obvious one that, that we just to- just talked about in, in Van Dijk, or is there is there something else that's been more noticeable for you when you've when you've happened to see us this season? Um, obviously, everyone talks about Virgil van Dijk, and it's it's no shadow of a doubt he has changed changed. But I, th- I think you know Sadio Mane has been, especially in recent weeks, has been absolutely phenomenal. And you know, I just I've never seen I've never seen not I've never seen a player, but he's just so direct with it, and it's it's it's, it's a great it's a great that it's great to see a player so direct. I mean, I'm not I'm not one to like want a player to you know faff about with it and try to score the perfect goal. I just want you just want the player to get forward and, and create the chances, and that's what Sadio Mane does. You know, uh, Allison. Apart from you know a couple of mistakes he's probably made this season, he's been absolutely great for you. And he's, I think he's changed you as much as Virgil Van Dijk has, especially even dealing with you know Karius and Mignolet last season. So I, I mean, I've, and I've, I've, been, I've talked about this as well a lot. Um, is like what sort of is deemed a successful season for Liverpool? Because let's say you lose the Premier League on the final day and end up getting to Champions League final and lost again in in the worst scenario ever. And would that? And I was trying to think, would that be a successful season for Liverpool? And for me, you know, it's. I've always said trophies is what is what a successful team is to me, and obviously it's what it's what your history is built on. And you know, I, I've, I use this. I've used this argument because you know I said in the Premier League, what is there to achieve for a team like Fulham? Realistically, like what would are, do you, are we going to remember finishing fifteenth five years in a row, or if we went up and down for five years in a row, we would, would we remember the promotions? And I think you'd remember the promotions because. You, you know, it's, it's days you remember like that. You know, the, the, the season we got to Europa League final, I'll always remember that. I'm not going to remember the season we finished eighth in the league and did nothing. I'm going to remember the season we finished twelfth and got to Europa League final. So I think it's, it, I think you do need to win something this season for it to matter. No, it's an interesting argument. I think. I, I, I mean, you can. It's probably the same one that's labelled at Pochettino as well, isn't it? So the Klopp and Pochettino undoubtedly overseeing um, continual progress, and I guess when you try and put up against what the opposition is as well. It's, it's obviously difficult. Pochettino is probably even more impressive with the money he's not been allowed to spend, to be honest. Um, uh, but ultimately, yeah, if, you, if, if you're not going to win things, I guess small psychological uh, victories like Klopp finally winning at Bayern Munich last night must have been must have meant a lot for him. But in the end of the day, it's going to be about the trophies. And as you mentioned last, um, last time in the Champions League final, that was a very bitter way for things to end, especially on uh, how how that final went, really. So... Yes, uh, it's, it's certainly going to be a, a tight end to the season. It's just hoping that we can keep everybody fit. And you know, even if we go down, uh, not quite making it, you know, that we do it playing how we have been doing um, and you know, giving our best, I guess. But um, just to, to get your thought, uh, get your prediction in for the weekend, um, what's your heart saying? What's your head saying? My heart says we can scrape a 2-2 draw, but my head's just going to say you're going to pummel us about 4-1. Four one. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I can see us hopefully grabbing a goal, but I think yeah, you've just got so much attacking talent through the midfield, through the attack that yeah, my head's saying you're just gonna uh, hopefully hopefully give us an absolute drubbing. I'm just gonna, I don't know why I said hopefully, but uh, <laughs> maybe 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 you get the goals in there and get back to the pub quicker. Maybe that'll be maybe, maybe that'll be the silver lining. Exactly. If, if you can help us with the goal difference, that would be absolutely because it's it's it's, it's 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 a pretty difficult. Uh, task on that, or yes, similarly, if you can get a one-one draw against City, that would be absolutely ideal. <laughs> if you could, if you could, I, I know you say you like Sterling, but if you could frustrate Sterling for one for one afternoon, that wouldn't be bad. But um, I mean, 
anyway, Don, thanks so much for all all the insight. I made you go back through a lot of things there that I'm guessing it weren't too um, too fun to go back through at times, and it's been a definitely been a tough season, especially how everyone thought things were going to go at the start. But just before we do go, I just want to ask if um, you had any, anything that you wanted to plug. Obviously, there's the there's the Fulhamish pod. Yeah, uh, part, I'm part of Fulhamish podcast, uh, Team Fulhamish. Yeah, you can ca- you catch me on Twitter at Fulhamish pod, same on Instagram. And if you really want to hear what my ramblings are on football, you can find me at Radio Bets. But yeah, that's about it. Absolutely. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening uh, again to another Premier League preview. We'll be back again next week, um, or not next week, rather, after a little international break for us now. Um, weirdly placed, of course, as usual. Um, hopefully reflecting on a positive performance. Hopefully we're still in touch with the um, we're sitting at the top. Hopefully City slip up. Who knows? But um, uh, anyway, guys, thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back again shortly. Sports Social Podcast Network.